Mesdames et Messieurs, the greatest festival of our contemporary society, the Olympic Games, is about to begin. This is going to be close. Hello, fans of Shuklistan, and welcome to another episode of Keep the Flame Alive, the podcast for fans of the Olympics and Paralympics. I am your host, Jill Jairus, joined as always by my lovely co-host, Allison Brown. Allison, hello. How are you? It's been a little bit of a rough week in our house. Oh, really? What's been going on? It was 4th of July, which means there are fireworks, and I have a dog. Oh. It's the most pathetic thing you have ever seen when you've got this little 15-pound ball of white fur shaking uncontrollably at your feet, and there is nothing you can do. Oh, poor thing. It's tough. It's really tough. So to make myself feel better, I think I've gained eight pounds (laughs) by eating just everything in sight. So it's like she shakes and burns off all the calories that I'm eating, apparently. (laughs) Gonna have to send you back out to Jean Jacou or Yang Ching and walk it off. <laughs> but you know what's coming up today? World Games! World Games! Yay! So, World Games start today. And we wanted to do a little bit of programming about it because, not only because they're in the US, but also because they are slightly connected with the Olympics in some way. And you've done some research on this. Tell me what this is because I'm so confused. I know. And and we were both confused as to how does this work? So the World Games began in 1981, really as a showcase for sports and events that were not included on the Olympic program. That sports and events distinction becomes very important. But sports played at the World Games will vary from edition to edition because the International World Games Association, the IWGA, does not want host cities to build any new facilities. I know. And the IWGA never saw itself in competition with the IOC. They always thought of themselves as kind of a partner organization. And in 2000, that was made official with the IWGA and IOC signed a memorandum of understanding. That was updated in 2016. And both organizations promote sports and embrace the same spirit of Olympism. The IWGA agreed to conform to the Olympic Charter and work with the IOC to develop the World Games program each quadrennial, because like the Olympics, the World Games are competed every four years. In return, the IOC granted access to its resources, particularly in regards to technical assistance and to federations and national governing bodies that participate in both events. So you see water events, you see gymnastics events, you see canoe events in both the Olympics and the World Games, but they will be different events. I I wonder if granting access to its resources also includes financial support. I mean, some of these, like you said, some of these are federations that are in the Olympics as well. But for some who have sports that are not on the Olympic program... I kind of wonder, do they get any kind of extra funding from this or funding that gets funneled through the World Games somehow? Right. That was not clear. Everybody, Nobody wants to talk about the money. I mean, clearly, federations that get Olympic money, it funnels down. So FINA and FIG, it doesn't matter. But, you know, things like... Tug of war? 
the tug of war. And the vents that use mechanical and electric gear, like drones, which will never be in the Olympics because that's not allowed. Again, how does that work with the money? Unclear. You know, because we like to talk about the money. More specifically, I like to talk about the money, but we like to talk about the money because you get dragged into that. And I, I will say we did try to talk to the World Games and we connected with them. We're supposed to talk with somebody on the Birmingham 2022 staff and it just never panned out. So I'm sorry we weren't able to ask this, but I, I do appreciate you being able to dig into this a little bit. Keep going. Okay, so for example, you will see in this edition, Rhythmic Gymnastics is at the World Games. But you may say, but wait, Rhythmic Gymnastics is in the Olympics. But at the World Games, they have events that are not in the Olympics. Duos, trios, and then the apparatus that didn't appear in the Olympics. Ooh. So they go off schedule. Oh, that's interesting. Same thing with wheelchair rugby. Wheelchair rugby is really the only para event right now, but it is low point wheelchair rugby, meaning that remember when we talked about wheelchair rugby in Tokyo, there was a certain number of points. Each athlete was assigned a point value based on his or her disability, and you had a certain number of points allowed on the floor. Well, low point wheelchair rugby is exactly what it sounds like the number of points you're allowed is much lower. So these are going to be athletes with more severe disabilities. So there's, you're never going to see the exact same event. So even breakdancing, it's not going to be exactly the same. It's going to be, say, pairs versus singles. Huh, that is interesting. So occasionally World Games will be used as a platform to make the jump, you know, especially prior to the Youth Olympics existing. That seems to be a testing ground now for new sports. Now, World Games is also serving that same purpose. So this time we have lacrosse and squash and we do have forms of breakdancing. So things that are trying to make that move, this is a way for them to get more exposure. Interesting. Excellent. Well, I am very curious to watch because of the sports that we don't see on the Olympic program and also to get a taste of breaking and maybe try to understand how that works since during the Youth Olympic Games, it was not clear at all how, how they scored those matches or dance off, whatever you wanted to call those. But today we do have a former world... We, Today, we do have somebody who competed in the World Games. His name's John Moorhead. He competed at the last World Games in 2017 in Wrocław, Poland. And he was the place kicker and punter for Team USA in American football. And Team USA took home the bronze medal. Take a listen. John, thank you so much for joining us. You went to the World Games, the, the last edition of the World Games, which was in 2017 in Wrocław, Poland. Tell us about the sport you played, because it's not one that we think of when we think of multi-sport games, and how you found, how you got into the World Games. Well, hi, Allison, Jill. Thanks for having me. I love the show. Really do. So the World Games, they take place every four years, and it takes place in different cities around the world the year after the Summer Olympics. 
And it's really, they're really like test events almost for these international federations trying to get their sport more exposure, trying to get them into the Olympic Games. So for example, sports such as sport climbing, karate have all graduated in recent years from the World Games to the Olympic program. So it's really like a stepping stone a lot of these sports use. So I played American football and American football, you you don't really think about it being a sport that's played internationally, but in the last couple of years, especially in Europe, those like Poland, Germany, even France, like the game has grown a lot with these young kids who will play rugby, they'll play track, they'll be skiers or a multitude of different sports, soccer. And then around like 18, 19, they kind of, at some point you fail out of your sport, right? And they, they, they won't be able to continue to the next level. So they pick up American football and they're great athletes. And um, there's several professional leagues over there that are growing and are paying players. And what one specifically, one team is the, the Roll Call Panthers and they're based in Roll Call Poland, which is where the World Games were in 2017. And each host city gets to pretty much pick a couple invitational sports per se. So they're not part of the official program, but they want to pick a sport that's good with the culture to the local citizens like it. So I think the invitational sports were like kickboxing, speedway, which is like motorcycle racing, American football, and indoor rowing. Those are the four. You know, the Roll Call Panthers are a, a pretty powerful team. They're one of the most dominant teams in Europe. So they had a good fan base and everything. So I know nothing about the World Games before this. I, I'd gone to college. I played football in college. I was, I was a kicker. And a punter. It was mainly a punter, but I did some kicking. I had a pretty successful college career. And then after that, I wasn't like ready for the real world. I mean, like, wasn't like, okay, do I get a job? Do I go to grad school? So I chose grad school because that just seemed like more fun than getting a job. And I started doing the the minor league circuit. So I was going to all these tryouts. As I was in grad school, I bounced around a couple arena football teams. I went up to Canada. I had a mini camp with the Hamilton Tiger Cats had a trial with the Toronto Argonauts, all these CFL teams, like three of them. And you're just trying to bounce around, trying to keep playing a sport while, while going to school. So one day I'm on these, this is social media, I'm on all these like free agent pages, because that's what I was. And I'm going through and it's like, USA football is putting together a team for the World Games. I'm like, well, what's the World Games? So I, I do a quick Google search and I see that it's this multi-sport competition in, in Europe this summer. And it's closely associated with the IOC. And I'm like, oh, well, that sounds pretty cool. Uh, and before this, I wasn't a huge Olympic fan. Like, I, I, like I, I like the Olympics, and but my experience really got me into it. Anyway, the application process was different. It was all virtual. At first, you had to submit like college game film or minor league game film. And there were certain rules, like you had to be one year removed from college. You couldn't have been played on an NFL team in the last year. You couldn't have played in Canada in the last year, which is kind of interesting because the world games claims they want the best of the best athletes but they were almost trying to like water down the american team i know it's kind of like insulting to me but they were they weren't they didn't want the best american players over there which is understandable because they wanted to have it kind of as a competition anyway so i I applied i think the 400 athletes applied and they got down to you had to submit a a roster to the organizing committee a hundred man roster by like may 1st right so i get on the hundred man roster I actually like sent the email and I kind of forgot about it. And I was like, I emailed like, oh, you're, that's pretty cool. And there was like four or five other kickers on there. So then you had to send more like practice film. I remember like bribing my little brother to go to the, the field with me and like film all these different kicks and, and whatnot. And then I submitted that film and then I got on the 75 and then I got on the 45 man roster. I was like, oh, so that's pretty cool. I'm going to Europe this summer. And we get the email and it's like, congratulations on making the team. 
it's like pages long of itinerary you have to you have to follow and forms you have to fill out and everything saying hey you know all costs are going to be covered whatever 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 so that was pretty exciting until most people don't know this but IFAF is the International Federation of American Football and so they're the governing body they're recognized by the IOC all that but IFAF in 2015 had a had a schism had like a split because the guys were basically saying one side wanted to be more with the NFL, like kind of like trick get, get use some NFL money. The other guys wanted to keep it like a purely amateur sport, purely European, like Eurocentric. Like they didn't really want to include the United States or Canada in a lot of competitions. So they split into IFAF Paris and IFAF New York. And IFAF Paris took over control of the World Games, and they kind of had their own little groups involved. Well, USA Football wanted nothing to do with IFAF Paris. So they left and they joined IFAF New York. Would, but there still needs to be an American team at the World Games. They basically said, you know, we've already, they're they threatening like a lawsuit or, or whatnot if, they, if an American team didn't show up. Because there was four teams that there was going to be the United States, Poland, Germany, France. So basically USA football more or less said we're out, we're with IFAF New York. And the IFAF Paris pretty much threw together like a, they contacted all of us and said like, hey, you're going to be the U.S. Federation of American Football. They basically made it made up a national governing body and said, if you guys can get to Europe, get to Europe. If not, we're going to use Americans playing over here. So it was really poorly organized towards the end of it. Um, I was fortunate enough at the time where I, I had enough money saved up where I was like, well, whatever, I'm, I'm going. This sounds like a pretty cool opportunity. And, and I went, but we didn't have the opportunity to have a lot of practices or training together. Like, I arrived the day of the opening ceremony and like probably one of my, one of my only regrets was that I literally like, I got to the airport, I caught the shuttle to the athlete's village. I checked in, grabbed my credentials and then I just passed out for 12 hours. I walked right past the bus to the opening ceremony. I said, I just can't do that right now. And now I look back, I watched the Olympics pass this summer and this winter. I was like, dude, that looks really cool. And I totally dropped the ball, but uh, it, it's okay. Anyway, we eventually had a few practices, not enough to kind of really like football is a sport where you, you just can't just show up and play. Like there's plays you need to install. There's, especially as a kicker, you need to get repetitions and chemistry with your snapper and your holder. And um, we start, we came out against Germany. And, and by the way, Germany had been, they put their season on hold. The GFL is probably the second best league in Europe. And they put their whole season on hold for this. They had two weeks of practice with their guys. I actually knew the French national team kicker from our CFL days. He's been going to tryouts together. He's actually a French citizen, but he lives in Canada. And he was telling, we were messaging. He's like, he's like, dude, like we have been like sent playbooks. Like we're ready to rock and roll. And I'm just like, yeah, man, I'm not sitting in the weight room here in Baltimore. Like I, I have no idea what's going on. But anyways, we, we come up, we come out against Germany. And as I said before, these kids who are playing against, I mean, they're men also, great athletes, but a team that's just put together should not be able to play with a team that's been training together, that are the best players in their country. We hung with them pretty good. Was it? We lost by one, and then we beat Poland in the bronze medal game, which, again, like Poland had been putting a ton of money in, into their program. They had even brought in an American coaching staff. They, they hired these guys from a Division II school in the United States, brought them over to Poland, paid for everything put a ton of money into their Olympic stadium, they called it, put a ton of money in their program. They had warm-up games against like Switzerland. And at the end of the day, we beat them 14-7. They, we definitely outplayed them, but 
having like a bronze is like kind of bittersweet because it's like, dude, like we're the United States, we shouldn't lose, but we only had 33 guys out there. Other teams had 45, and I remember at one point the guy, one of the coaches, asked me, he's like, he's like, hey, can you go out and like play like corner? I'm like, no, I have had like I've like two tackles my whole life. I'm not gonna go play defense. That's that's wild. It, I mean, that was the football part of it was was a great experience. What well, was a good experience, but everything else was like an even better experience. That kind of shaped my view of the Olympics and multi-sport games and just being an athlete in general and just kind of like, you know, made me question a lot of decisions that people who get paid a lot of money to run these organizations make. That makes sense. So. so you mentioned the World Games has an athlete's village. It has an opening and closing ceremonies. What else about it would be familiar to Olympic viewers? It's it, Honestly, it is you know, from my experience in Poland to watching in the, you know, the last five years following the Olympics pretty thoroughly. It's it's identical. It's just there's no money. Like the money, the, the, the media presence is a little less. I mean, the Athletes Village was basically the university economics dorm. And it was like, it was a, my roommate was the quarterback. He's six, seven, I'm six, three. And we're, our feet are hanging off of these like tiny, tiny beds. There wasn't any like pizzazz. I mean, there were still things to do in the village. Like they had, you would walk outside of your, your room. Also, there's only internet on the first floor. That was weird. No air conditioning. But um, you walk outside and they had like chirotherapy chambers. It's like this, where you walk in, like this freezing cold stuff. They had different protein bars and sports drinks you could sample. They, they had massage and like the suction cup tables. There was a dining hall, but you could only go there three times a day. They gave you three tokens. So you couldn't go more than three times. And some of the linemen were not happy about that. And it's very identical. The, the, the pizzazz isn't there. Everyone walks around with their credentials and their, their national kit, the national garb, um, which is really cool to see. Most of the athletes are pretty friendly. You could just literally have a conversation. Some are a little overly friendly. Like someone will just like walk up and like not even say hi and just like grab your credential and be like, "Oh, American football." You could have just asked, but okay. So that's very similar. The opening ceremony is very similar. You walk out with your your country. The closing ceremony is not as similar. It's more of like a concert kind of thing. And there's an athlete's night that's in the dead middle, which is more like an athlete's party. Basically, they do those three because you can only check into your room 48 hours before, and then you have to check out 24 hours after your competition. Because they, they, they rotate athletes in and out. They don't have maybe the money or the resources for someone to stay from before the opening until after the closing. So you um, didn't get to watch a lot of other things. No, I did. Oh, you did? I, I did. They had transportation for us. So me and a couple other teammates, we had a couple bit of day off. We went to, we saw some rhythm gymnastics, which was really cool. There's like team rhythm. Like there's, there's something that, so you know, rhythmic is in the Olympics. It's, there's certain events that are not. So they're allowed to be in the world games. That was pretty cool. We saw those, the, the Russian twins. They, they did it there and they're pretty good. Alvina or someone. I think you know who I'm talking about. But, um, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They were there. They were really good. We then, we saw some bowls. That was exciting. It's almost like bocce ball. And I saw the floorball final. Floorball final was really cool. I think floorball is definitely a sport that can definitely catch on with, with this younger generation, especially, you know, when nothing against ice hockey. I love ice hockey, but, you know, concussions and injuries and floorball is not as physical. 
So, yeah, that was a really cool game. What contact do you have with the USOPC and Team USA as a participant in the World Games on Team USA? I have like zero contact with them. The USOPC doesn't really recognize the World Games too much. I mean, it, it is what it is because pa- apparently the our governing body backed out. So USA football is recognized by the USOPC. So it might have been different if I had been under USA football, which I originally was. But when USA football backed out because of the politics with the IFAF schism, they created this random called US, the United States Federation of American Football, which is basically created as a national governing body. IFAF Paris stamped it and said, okay, get me 45 guys over here. And we'd all been told like, hey, you know, we're going to, this is going to be free of charge. We're going to have training camp in Spooky Nook, Pennsylvania. There's like apparently a a really good field hockey facility there. We were going to train there. We were going to take a flight, fly out as a team out of Kennedy. We were going to land in Germany, scrimmage a GFL team, and then two days before the opening ceremony, take a bus to Roclaw. None of that happened. Like we all were basically told at the 11th hour, like, if you want to play football, find your way over. Some of the guys were currently playing. European clubs are allowed to have three Americans on their team. But most of these Americans are, they'll be a quarterback. They all have American quarterbacks. They'll have a, maybe a safety or a running back or receiver. Very few European clubs will carry linemen because you can find big kids over there to just push people around. You'll find none of them have kickers or punters because you can just find a kid who used to play soccer over there. So about half of, half of my team was playing professionally in Europe at the time. And the other half flew over on their own, own dime to Poland. The kicker was that you had to be on the 100-man roster originally. So remember, the poll, the organizing committee said you need a 100-man roster by May 1st. Any alternates or substitutions have to be from this 100-man roster. So we had a lot of guys back up because they didn't have the, the money to go to Poland. And um, you were limited. So we only played with 33 guys, which is you're playing four quarters of football. And one of them's me, and I'm not playing offense or defense. You don't want that. That's bad. Yeah, basically, and I haven't heard anything from this USFAF since then. So I'm just I'm proud to be a, a, a Shiflistiani right now because I was like, I, I, no, I had no governing body at that point. So when you're playing in the World Games and you're playing American football, how is it different than college football? So they use college rules. So college rules are the same. The only thing that was different was they did a 12-minute quarter instead of a 15-minute quarter which that's a high school rule, actually. But the, the kickoffs, the, the hash marks, the uprights, that's, it was all college rules. And that college rules are, have been adop- adopted by IFAF to use in all their major competitions. Well, that's interesting. So the European championships, the world championships, which, again, the politics with IFAF really bothered me a lot. There hasn't been a major men's championship since the World Games. Like the U.S. national team hasn't played. The Canadian national team hasn't played since 2015. There have been European championships every two years. So I think Sweden's the reigning champion. It's just all their funding, and I get it. And I'll, I'll get more into this in a little bit. When the schism was over, they agreed like, hey, we need to focus on flag and women's game, the youth and women, because that is basically the future. That, that's pretty much when everyone's going. That's where inclusion in the Olympic Games will get you. And the Olympic Games, and I think it, it was good that they had this event. They had this American football four-team tournament 
but you, you learn quickly that it's not feasible to play three games of American football in 10 days. That's why you play on Saturdays and Sundays. I mean, it's, if football is a very physical game, I mean, I'm fine. I could go kick seven days a week, but a lot of my teammates were banged up. A 45-man roster, I mean, you always hear about these venues and these host cities complaining about athlete quotas. I mean, that's 180 athletes right there that you have to squeeze into the, to a village. And there's no gender equality, really, for American tackle football. There, there are leagues. I have friends who play for the Baltimore Nighthawks, okay, and the D.C. Divas, who it's tackle football. But I think what ISAF is really seeing is that, and you're going to see this in Birmingham, is the flag game. You have lower quotas, lower athlete quotas, quicker games, kind of like rugby seven, right? Rugby seven, beach, volleyball. Very actually right. You're seeing that the, these host cities and these organizing committees – want younger, they want faster, they want more gender equality. And you get that with flag. You don't really get that with tackle. So that's why after the World Games, the IFAF has really moved away from the men's senior and really focused on, on, on the youth and the ladies, which is great. It's just there's no kicking on five on five. So I'm pretty much pretty much retired now. <laughs> so right. Flag football five on five is making a push to be a like a write in candidate for LA. Right. So that it, yeah. it, it can be there. Yeah, I don't see how American football would make it into the Olympics, just like you were saying, just numbers. No. And and that's part of what that's part of the reason the World Games exist. It they exist to as a test event almost to see what sports have it to make it into the Olympic Games. And if your sport isn't quite cutting it, how do you figure out to make it work? Well, the IFAF looked at the World Games and said we couldn't even get the Americans over here. That's not good. And they showed up with a bunch of like ex-college guys who, you know, and half European guys. So, you know, if you want the best of the best, let's cut it to the flag level. I think a lot of sports are doing that as well right now. I'm going to be Allison for a minute. I, I want to know about the relationship between you and the center. Would it be the center who... Oh, the, the, the long snapper? Yeah, the long Yeah. So the long snapper, actually, um, I had two. I had Brett Perkins, who was, he was in training camp with the Arizona Cardinals years ago, but he was more of a tight end. And then I had John Van Vielet, who he's got a cool story. He was in Poland, right? Because his wife is, was playing basketball for this roll call team. And he was playing football for the roll call team. So there are two Americans just living abroad. And then on top of that, the holder against Germany, Dustin held for me. And then against Poland, Mike, another quarterback held for me. So I had two holders, I had two long snappers. It was basically just, it was one of those things. And I hate that as, as a coach, kids love, cause I coach high school right now. And kids are like, I need, I need to play off on kickoff or I need to play off on punt. And I'm just like, you're scrambling to find someone out there. So Brett comes off the field cause he's tired. So John runs on to snap. So I'm now getting different speed. And then I have a different holder. It, it was, I mean, I made it work kind of. I didn't have the best games of my life, but I kept it in the Germany game for sure. So is it you who has to adapt to their style? Yes. Okay. Yeah. So, so yeah. So what all, what are all the things that you look for? Well, as, as a punter, I look for, as a right-footed punter, I want that ball between my like my torso and my right hip. I don't want anything low or high. And I, it needs to be in and out of my hands 
in 1.4 seconds. So 1.4 is like my from from my catch to my foot. If it's under 1.4, it's good. If it's over 1.4, closer to two, you're probably getting blocked. I know. I remember you kind of just have to like get it out of your hands quickly your first punt because you don't want it getting blocked. A, a blocked punt is one of the most devastating plays in football. You lose the field position battle, and if they score off that block punt, your chances of winning the game decrease by 90%. Um, that's like a statistic, like these like analytics. If you ever watch football, you hear about the analytics that's what they always talk about. And Germany came out. I had a punt like nine times against Germany, and they came after almost every single punt. Um, and I was able to kick away from their returner and not have one blocked, which is that's pretty much doing your job. And as long as you do your job, you're okay. Poland didn't really rush as much. And then on a field goal snap, you wait for the holder. The holder will have his like left hand down. And when he brings his, his left hand up to catch the ball, that's when you start your approach. And again, one four is your target from, from snap to kick, not from the time the holder catches it. From the time it leaves the snapper's fingers to the holder's hand, that's pretty much 1.4 seconds. And I just want to dispel this theory here. Everyone talks about like laces out, laces out. Laces out only matters outside of 30 yards. If you're inside of 30 yards, you should have enough power to kind of make that ball. The ball's going to move, but you should have enough power where it shouldn't really impact anything inside of 30 yards. So I just tell, I tell, I tell the guys on extra points, just like, just get the ball down. Like, I'll figure it out. <laughs> so, but yeah, it's, you have to have a good relationship. I had a good relationship with everyone on the team, but we had a bunch of, it was a group of really good guys who most were there because they just love playing football. They were just like, hey, it's another chance for me to play another game. Other guys were there because they're just trying to get another contract. Some are trying to get filmed to see if they can go to the CFL or the NFL or the GFL. I was there because I, I love the game of football, and I thought it was an amazing opportunity. And um, I've never been to Europe before. And if I can go to Europe and I can play football while I'm at it and meet a lot of cool people, like that's just a total win. What's different when you're playing Europeans, both in terms of what European players are like and what the European fans are like, versus Americans? Okay, this, so this is part, that's a great question. This is perfect. So the game against Poland, my girlfriend, well, my wife now, but my girlfriend at the time flew out for the third place game. She was going to come, Kyle was going to come out anyway. We were going to travel around a little bit before the closing ceremony, you know, see some parts of Europe we have never been before. And after the game, she's just like, those horns. And I'm like, what's up with, the, like, I, I, you kind of notice them, but you don't really notice them too much. And when you're playing, but apparently they had the, the Vuvuzuelas, the, the horns were going. And it's you're almost like at a soccer match, especially when you're playing the, the host country at home. They were pretty pretty wound up. They were just pulse good chance, oh, like over and over and over. Like Americans, like during a football game, you're pretty quiet or you're talking to the person next to you. You cheer after a big play, but you're not waving banners and horns and chanting doing chants so the, 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 the atmosphere is actually better not as big but better and then player wise as i said before these guys are they're phenomenal athletes um they've all played sports at a high level most are just new to football american football but they really lack that like and i shouldn't say i wouldn't generalize all of them that lack this but that like i'm gonna hit you like really hard mentality i was punting against poland it was actually my last punt and there's about 20 seconds left in the game. And I just know, like, I got to get this ball off. We're up by a touchdown because if they block this and if they score a touchdown, we're tied. I don't want to go to overtime because overtime usually falls on the shoulders of the kicker. I'm not trying to, like, yes, you always want to be the hero and you want to make that kick. But there's also a 50% chance you're going to miss that kick. So you're just like, I don't want that pressure on me. 
So let me just get this ball away and have the defense close this one out. And you know they're going to rush, right? So you know that 1-4 is probably now going to be 1-2, one, 1-1 one, one, if that. Snaps a little high. I get it down, and I, I get it off, and I actually hit a pretty decent ball. And they come through, and the Polish player hits my leg, nothing that hasn't happened before. And um, I'm not the biggest guy, and I just kind of fall over, which is fine. And you're not supposed to hit the kicker. That's a penalty. Sometimes it gets called. Sometimes it does not. The Polish player knows this, and he knows he, if, you, if there's a penalty on this play against Poland, that game's over. Like you're not, you're not even gonna get a chance on offense. So I'm at first down. So he like stops, puts his hands on his head, like no, 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 no. Bends over to pick me up while the play's still going on, which is like you would never see an American player do that. Like you, they might stand over the kicker and say some choice words to him, but. So that was that's mainly the main difference between the European atmosphere of the game and the American atmosphere of the game. Did you learn some choice words in either Polish or German to use during uh, your games? Did not. <laughs> I'm not a big talker. We did hang out. It was actually really cool. After the France-Germany gold medal game, all the teams, we all kind of hung out. We met in like the Athletes Village Plaza area, but we went out to like the main like center city row claw together. So I was hanging out with these German players, not too many Polish players showed up. They were staying, they Polish, the Polish team didn't stay on site for some reason. And then the French players, you, you meet these guys and they all speak English for the most part, because the, I asked one of them, like, why do you guys all speak English? He's like, well, if you want to make money, you speak English is a language of business. And I said, that makes, that makes sense. But no, they were re- all really nice guys. You realize just at the end of the day, they're just, they're just like you. They're, 20 something years old and they like they love their sport and they love their country and you're going to play hard but in the, the game like end of the day we're not getting paid for this let's just have a good time enjoy the experience what is it like being on a team that has this kind of tremendous accomplishment but you were thrown together at the last minute i mean do you feel like you're part of a team or how how is that did you know everybody on the team? Like, seriously, if if I was on a team that big, I might be hard-pressed to remember everybody's name. It's like so being in a it, school class. Yeah. And it was actually kind of neat because when the team was named, so the team gets named back May 1st, right? Well, no, May 1st was the 100-man roster. The team gets named May 31st. There's this football website called Huddle where you have play online playbooks, game film, and there's a chat feature. So all 45 guys, we immediately got on there, and we started – texting each other hey i'm john i'm from baltimore i'm the kicker so you knew all you knew all these guys for the most part before they even before you even landed like you knew who they were some guys that were taken off and some guys were added on because of the whole messy situation but um i pretty much knew everyone before and you you know social media is pretty crazy sometimes but you're able to like like i knew that my friend zach was playing in italy like he was so, like, you know where these guys are coming from, where they're playing. And, and football is one of those things where you, if you played long enough, you've, like, you've, you might have played against someone in college, if you're, especially at the Division two level or Division three level. Like if you're playing at that, that lower level, it's very common for you to have played someone who you're on the same team with now. And it's, football is, has a culture where it's real easy just to get along with someone. I think all sports are, this, are that way, in a, in a sense, where it's like, okay, you've been through the ringer before, you know what a two-a-day is, you've been hit really hard before, you've won games, you've lost games, and you have that common connection. So it wasn't like I was playing with total strangers. As I said, I, I roomed with, we had a suite, and the, the suite is the world's smallest room. You walk in, there's like two beds, 
and they're super small beds. And my roommate was one of the quarterbacks. He was six seven, and then there was me, six three. And then there's two other guys who were playing. One's a, one's actually a, a former Chicago Bear. He was playing in Dresden at the time, and it just kind of got to the point like we didn't know each other before, but we spent all the spent our whole time together. So you just have that common connection. Also, the world's smallest shower. Like the shower was like none of us fit in the shower. Okay, Jill, the reason I'm laughing is I got the mental image of John and his quarterback sitting on the two outer seats and me sitting in the middle seat <laughs> of a third seat of an airplane. My feet don't touch the ground, you have to understand. I'm just being like, oh, these are some very large and, men. And our knees are like slamming into the, uh, <laughs> yeah, small rooms. So you mentioned you could only eat three times a day. What was the food like? Terrible. It was absolutely terrible. I've actually took pictures of it. Just like dry chicken, rice. That's all it really was. It was dry chicken and rice and some like Polish vegetables. And it was really bad. And I remember I was walking around. We were going to the Bulls game or the, the, the bocce game, right? And there was a food truck that had a hamburger and a Pepsi. And that was the best meal I've had because I had been eating the cafeteria food for like two, three days. And I, that hamburger was like, I remember sending a picture of it to my girlfriend and being like, this is amazing. Like, this is the best food I've had in four days. So, yeah, food was not great. And especially, I don't know about all athletes, but when you're eating on game day, you really don't eat. You try to eat a lot the night before, especially for a big game. You're just like, you're trying to just maybe shovel a couple eggs and a protein bar down just to get you through. So, yeah, that was not the the best part of my experience. What was the medal ceremony like? Bitter, a little bitter. So the the bronze medal game was at like 1 p.m. So we played and we won. And then like we had to like, hang around and watch the gold medal game. I didn't really want to watch the gold medal game because I knew I knew that like a ball bounces one way or the other, we're in it. We only lost by one point to Germany. Um we shouldn't have lost like we had one or two more practices together. We don't lose that game. And just like it was raining. I was like, this kind of sucks. So I walked around all of the stadium a little bit. They they spent a lot of money re- renovating that stadium. It's an old stadium. It was actually built in 1934 for the 1936 Olympics, but they never used it because that was it was German territory at that time. They never used it for the Olympics, but they built it for it. And then after World War II, when I guess whatever countries got reorganized, it became Polish territory again, and they renamed it their Olympic Stadium. And they put the World Call Panthers to play there, put a ton of money into it. So I just like kind of walked around this like historic stadium. I didn't really want to watch it. And then they like kind of like called us down, so we walked onto the field and. You know, we, we kind of went first, and Tommy Wicking at the time was the president of IFAF, who I think is a total meatball, because I don't like him for his politics and what he did with the whole World Games. Now, of course, I got him. I'm like, oh, dude. <laughs> so he put, he put the bronze medal around my neck. But then, like, it was really cool. Like, the French players were super excited. So they won the gold medal. They beat Germany by one point also. Um, they were really they were really excited. They screamed their national anthem, which was really cool. Like so, yeah. I mean, it's it was cool. Like I had the medal, and when I got it, I I get back to the Athens Village, and my, my girlfriend's there, and I say, hey, you know what? You should wear this tonight. I had her put the medal on, and we were walking around town, and everyone's like, congratulations! Like, what sport do you play? And I'm like, tell them fin swimming. Tell them fin swimming. 
<laughs> yeah, Sally. Did they give you the mascots as well? I do. I have Hansel and Gretel. They're not with me. They're actually at my parents' house. But I got the two little mascots, Hansel and Gretel. I think that's their names. I got a lot of stuff. You, I was surprised that like you, you enter your room and there's just a bag. It's a big bag with t-shirts and hats and wristbands and lanyards and just all this stuff. And I was like, well, that's pretty cool. And I guess I didn't get as much stuff as you get when you get team process going to the Olympic Games and they, these athletes post like a million different outfits. But it was nice to get something. So that was pretty cool. Did you feel any presence of the IOC? So Tommy B was there. Tommy B was the opening ceremony. Tommy um, B! I think, and I think he's coming to Birmingham this summer too. He is going to Birmingham. Yeah, yeah. Ta- Ta- Thomas Bach opened up the uh, the Olympic ceremony. I was I wasn't there. I was sleeping. But apparently, at some point in his speech, he called us all elite athletes, and I was like, that's never been called that before. That's actually interesting. So, um, yeah, there was definitely a heavy IOC presence. There was even a heavier Birmingham presence there. The, the mayor of Birmingham, all their organizing committee, they came to all, they went to all the football games because that was like something they're really interested in because football is king down there. And when they found out that like our funding, whatever fell through, they were like, you should have told us we would have, we would have pitched in because you guys getting the, the bronze is like unacceptable. We would have definitely helped you guys out. So that was actually, that's actually super interesting. But there was definitely a heavy IOC presence, heavy Birmingham presence. And a lot of these, I, I passed it in the stadium. There's like this like, vip area every every event had a vip area and you just kind of like look in there and you see like a bunch of men and women in like ties and suits who you think are pretty important because their credentials were a different color like i think it was like yellow like all the athletes were blue and ours theirs was like yellow and they're talking to like someone from an international federation who's trying to push their causes as to why their sport should be like the next big thing so there was a, definitely a lot of politicking going on there that's a word what has been your involvement with the World Games since? Not a lot. I've actually, so I, I, I got home and I was like, that was a really cool experience. I want to learn more about multi-sport games. I, I was very upset. I was upset a, a lot of th- about coming in, in, in third place in a sport that you shouldn't come in third place in. And I was very, I was bitter towards USA football and IFAF Parrot. IFAF Paris and, and I was just like I don't think like athletes we don't always get treated fairly per se I worked really hard and I'm told I'm going on this awesome trip to win a gold medal and everything kind of falls through and it, so I was I did a lot of research on a lot of corruption with I not just IOC with with IFAF and all these other international federations and national governing bodies and that's one thing I'm really trying to like focus on is athlete rights pretty much and I listened to Aaron and Josh in your last couple episodes and, and it's 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 really just true it's like there's 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 no money in this and what are you supposed to do uh, when you're done playing and sponsors dry up and it's really really difficult and I think that the USOPC could could be doing more they, they get a lot of money from the IOC and NBC and where does that money truly go to so that's something I'm not gonna get into right now because that's a little deep but um, that's one of the things like I focused on when I got back home also, just I started like being like these multi-sport games are really cool. It's a really cool experience. You were there this winter in Beijing, so you totally understand. Like, it's just something special about you just walking around and seeing people from a whole different part of the world, and just the friendliness and the camaraderie when this world is the world isn't always like that. And 
that's the one nice thing about these games is they bring people together, whether it's the Pan American games, the World Games, or the Caribbean games, or the police and firefighter games, whatever. So, you know, it definitely sparked a passion in just what I want to do with the rest of my time in athletics. The other thing about these multi-sport games is when you're an athlete, you are just focused on your sport and may not get exposure to a whole lot of other sports. What is it like being around other types of athletes? What do you gain from that? It's really cool to be around all these different types of athletes. And you realize that athletes come in all different shapes and sizes and genders and and age. So there was someone in the archery competition who was like 50 plus. I don't, I don't remember. I mean, there's also the gymnast or who doing the rhythmics who's like 14, 15. There's sumo wrestling at the World Games. So you have these huge, big competitors. And as I said, uh, you know, there's, there's tumbling who and these, these girls are like 4'11 on a good day. So it, it's really cool to be around these people who are very, are very similar to you because despite their size and whatever they they are training just as hard as you are and as they always say i know it's super cliche but being there is like half the battle because for a lot of these people a lot of these athletes this is their olympics i mean growing up playing american football my goal was never to play at the world games but if you are if you play an ultimate frisbee or flying disc as they call it or if you're playing fistball this is it this is your pinnacle of sport so that's pretty cool for those athletes to see to see them get to live out like what they've been dreaming about since they were like 12. What do you think about the inclusion of flag football for Birmingham? I'm excited about it. I think I think flag is the future of American football. I see it as a high school coach every year more and more our numbers are dwindling. Parents have safety concerns and rightfully so football is a violent game the weather in august doesn't help when it's 102 degrees outside and you're wearing pads more and more young athletes are playing flag as a way to develop if they want to play high school football i encourage them to play flag first in middle school it's a lot it's a lot safer works on some of the same skills flag is also easier to pick up so for those athletes as i said before who are like 18 19 and they flunk out of rugby or track and field flag i mean they have the skills they have speed they can hopefully they just gotta learn how to catch, throw, whatever. So that transition is a lot easier for those athletes, which makes the games more competitive. I mean, people are going to be surprised about how good some of these other countries are. Panama is very good. They've lost, they lost the United States in the last two world championships by a touchdown. Canada is very good. Israel is also pretty good. They have a lot of American ties on their team. So, you know, this isn't going to be a competition where you think, well, it's American football. The Americans are going to blow them out. It's not. And as I said, it's the gender equality aspect. It's great that you can have a sport that has a men's side and a women's side, and you don't have to really worry about athlete quota spots. So that is pretty cool. As it builds up to try to be an Olympic sport, I think it has a very good shot. I think it's going to be really interesting to see what happens in, in 2028 if there's a lot of sports vying for very few spots. So that's always difficult, but that's what the World Games are for. The World Games are for those sports that they're close. They're not quite there yet, but it's an opportunity for them to showcase their sport and their athletes and, and make a make a pitch to the IOC. Do you think that the average fan will eventually know what the World Games is? Much like we know what the Olympics is. I don't think the World Games will ever even come close to what the Olympic Games are. I hope one day, I, I mean, I'm, I'm hopeful that Birmingham has a big enough impact 
that some people know. I mean, I, if I tell someone I played in the World Games, they're just like, what's that? And I'm like, well, let me tell you what it is. Um, <laughs> just... But I also think that the IOC can learn a lot from the World Games. The World Games cities are not required to build anything. The international federations actually select athletes, not the national governing body. So I know during the Olympics, it's always like some sports use a, a, a point system and the athlete who has the most points doesn't always get to go to the games. But the World Games is, is also, they've had gender equality for, I think, since 2013 or they've been close to it. I think there's going to be more female events in Birmingham than male events, I'm pretty sure. And I, I think that the World Games doesn't have that like big money, which you know, money solves a lot of problems. It also causes a lot of problems. And the Olympic Games do have that. So with all that exposure comes also a lot of issues. So I think I think it's where they are at right now is pretty good. They're they're they signed like some memorandum of understanding where they're not gonna step on each other's toes. Because originally in nineteen eighty one the first World Games was almost set up as a, a protest to the Olympic Games. Those international federations that weren't included in the previous Olympics were pretty upset about that. And they said, we're going to start like our own Olympics. And the IOC didn't, did not like that at all. There were the first few years, there was pretty, a pretty rocky relationship, but then the IOC saw that they could be beneficial and they, they, they've been working together, which is good. The world games needs that financial support. And I think the world games is expanding there in Chengdu in 2025, they're going to up the athlete quota from like 3000 to 5,000. So they're going to add a whole bunch of more sports and they're going to add para sports. So instead of having a, different like instead of the olympics and the paralympics you're going to have both able-bodied and para-athletes competing at one games now they won't be competing against each other well actually this year in archery i think one of the archers is a para-athlete but they'll be under one banner per se interesting what's your advice for fans who want to watch the olympic channel is going to be your best friend their coverage in poland was amazing I had my friends and family didn't miss a minute. They had nice like hour long recaps of all the events, which, you know, if you don't want to sit through a, a bowling match, you don't have to. The commentators are pretty good. It's an OBS feed. So that, it's always better than whatever other feed you're, you're going to watch. Um, they're going to have all the events 24 seven. So yeah, that's follow the Olympic channel. Try to watch something new. You never, you never know you might find a new favorite sport. I mean, no one really knows what fist ball or floor ball or I'm trying to think of what other what tug of war. I mean, people know what tug of war is, but give it a go. If you like it, that's awesome. I found something to follow. I'm going to be down there in person, which is I'm pretty excited for, but I'm not going to be like doing any like volunteer. I'm just going to be down there as like a, a, a spectator, which should be n nice. Just kind of relax for a little bit and it's like a mini vacation. What are you going to see? I have friends on the U.S. fistball team, so I'm going to go to almost all their games. I'm going to go check out flag football because I'm a football guy. This is really cool because I have friends who I made when I was in Poland, and, you know, we kind of kept up a little bit on social media, but I want to go see I have a friend who does underwater, underwater swimming and then some beach handball. So check out some stuff. I think beach handball might be one of the next big things also. Go check out breakdancing, and then you can explain it to us. No, I ref <laughs> refuse to do that. That is not on my list of things I almost ever want to see. Sorry, all the breaking fans out there. I think Tommy B would be his breaking <laughs> name. 
Ta- Tommy B. Or there's a Bumblebee or something like that. <laughs> I, well, he, I think he's banned. He's 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 Russian, so I think he's out. So there'll be no Bumblebee at the World Games. Darn. Oh boy. Right, John. Thank you so much. Uh, we're excited. I'm excited about World Games. It'll be interesting. It's something that we don't. It'll be nice to learn, and and I'm excited that the Olympic Channel is going to have a lot of it on on streaming. Yeah. But thanks so much for telling us about your experience. Of yeah. course, thank you for having me. I'm I'm officially a um, Shuklistani now, right? Like, yes, you are welcome to Shuklistan. Perfect, <laughs> perfect. Uh, no. So, thank you so much, John. You can follow John on Twitter, Insta, and Facebook, and we will have links to all of those in the show notes. I gotta say, it, it's interesting that he played American football, and the football that is in World Games 2022 is flag football, which is also gunning for LA 2028. Right. So many ways they, John expressed all the problems they had with American football in the World Games, and and it it's a much more fluid program than the Olympics. Things come in, things go out, things change. This event is in, this event is out, which it makes it like the wild younger brother. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and and in a way that's kind of interesting, I think, as a spectator, but it also makes it difficult to make that a goal. Unless you're a sport that is pretty much always going to be in, which would be what I would call a convention center sport then they probably have space for you. But something like a water sport with a boat, do they have space for that? Or a a lake nearby or or whatever they need. If you're on and off the program, does your thought as an athlete, do, do you care? People know what the Olympics are and they know a long time in advance what what sports are on the program. So it's just kind of like, oh, there's this, it, it, sometimes it feels like there's this World Games opportunity that you just kind of learn about. And you're like, oh, hey. Unless you're in like ball and you go, oh, this is probably likely to happen because it's not going to happen at the Olympics. Hey, there's always a pool where you can fin swim. <laughs> How you can watch the games. Olympics.com is going to stream competitions of 34 sports and all highlights will be available worldwide on a permanent 24-7 channel and on up to eight parallel live streams, which is kind of cool. There's going to be live streaming that's embedded into the IWGA's website, which is theworldgames.org, and also the host city, which is TWG2022.com. And if you have the TWG2022 app, you will be able to stream on your mobile device. But if you are in a country where the TV rights have been sold, this will be geo-blocked for you. Not the not necessarily the Olympics.com, but all of the stuff that's on IWGA. So in the U.S., CBS Sports has is is going to show a, a total of twelve hours of coverage, which is going to be in the form of one-hour highlight shows after each day of competition over the ten days of the event. CBS Television Network will be broadcasting two one-hour specials with broadcast coverage also streaming on Paramount Plus Premium. In Poland, you can watch on Polsat. In France, you can watch on L'Equipe. In Spain, you can watch on RTVE. In Germany, Austria, and Switzerland, you can watch on Sport 1. And they will have 100 hours of coverage. 
Sport 1. Go Sport 1. <laughs> in South America, you can watch on ESPN Latin America. In the Middle East, North Africa, Vanuatu, and Myanmar, you can watch on Abu Dhabi TV. In Thailand, it will be on Optimum, and Japan will be on TV Tokyo, and there will likely be an option in China too, but as of today, I couldn't find it. Sport one. <laughs> I know, for the win. Uh, that sound means it's time for our history moment, and all year long we are looking at Albertville 1992, which is celebrating its 30th anniversary my turn for a story and actually i'm doing something that is newsworthy about albertville 1992 yes when worlds collide i know and it foreshadows our next movie club episode which is coming up very soon i am going to talk torch relay and honestly this is going to be a two-parter you and your ice skating i (laughs) me and my torch relay because i am finding out some stuff So the Albertville Organizing Committee, which was called COJO, they wanted to partner with somebody for the organization of the Torch Relay. You know, like in the U.S., when it's in the U.S., Coca-Cola has sponsored it. In France, for this one, they they worked with La Poste, the French post office. (laughs) Because who delivers the post office? (laughs) So the idea of the Torch Relay all revolved around four basic concepts. Youth which were at the heart of the games and a symbol of eternity. Light and festivity, because light was synonymous with the torch, but also of technology. And festivity was synonymous with human interaction and joy. And then the national relay was something that the whole population could be involved with. And La Poste has a mission to create the link between people with delivering the mail. And then, of course, the other other concept for the torch really was history because there's a a ton of history involved with France and the Olympics and uh, they wanted to showcase that. I just got an image that they're encouraging people to mail children cigarettes. (laughs) I don't know where you got that image. (laughs) You said youth and light and fire within. I don't know. The flamme. I'm sorry. I probably should have talked about the parkour de la flamme, which is the Olympic torch relay. Because we have to get used to this terminology because we're going to have it again very, very soon. So anyway, I want to talk a little bit about the torchbearers and the equipment. The torchbearers are more for things we saw in the official film of Albertville 1992. They had 5,500 torchbearers from all over France, ages 15 to 20. So there's your youth concept. They had to apply. You went to the post office to apply, and then they chose your name out of a hat. (laughs) So then they had... No, le chapeau. (laughs) (laughs) Then they had a thousand escorts, like when we saw Tokyo 2020, they had all these escorts with a flame. Those were recruited from among postmen throughout the country to follow, encourage, and replace a torchbearer should a problem arise. Le trip. (laughs) So one of the things they learned in this process was that the number of applications received was relatively small when you compared it to the 3.8 million young people that they had the pool of to choose from. And they realized that the period for handing in applications was also one of many public holidays. (laughs) And it was too soon 
for, to the event. So nobody, nobody knew to do it. I want to talk about the outfits a bit because we did notice the outfits that they wore, which were bright, very early 90s, puffy kind of things. This is from the official report. So obviously the organizer's outfits had to be comfortable, practical, and warm. The runner's clothes had to be warm and waterproof. So the outfits had to be consistent with the same dominant colors of everything for Albertville, which was gray and white. And it had to have the logo of the torch relay, the triple logo of La Poste, and uh, and that was it. Other any no other publicly publicly identifiable marks needed to be on the clothes of the runners. Le Blanc. <laughs> So the runner's outfits were produced by K-Way and the organizer's outfits were produced by Ellis and they were part of a limited run. So if those are on the market, snap one up. They made 7,000 outfits for the runners and escorts, took several months. And of course, the order had to be made before they knew who was running. (laughs) So they had to guess on the number of sizes. they needed for each each group but of course the organizers outfits made to measure i mean you are in france right <laughs> it sounds like the runners needed la safety pin <laughs> and the another key was they had to be easily recognizable so they had parkas in dazzling silver one of the other things I want to talk about, talk about the implements here, the torch. The torch was designed by Philippe Stark, famous French designer, which you may know he had a collection with Target back in the day. Remember that? I do. The, the Olympic Games comes calling to Philippe and he's like, yes, I will do it. The torch itself, they called it la corne or the horn. It had this bulbous steel alloy body which was 16 and a half inches long, 41 centimeters, if you're metric, three inches wide as it wide as point, it weighed 13 kilograms. It's kind of heavy. It could stay lit for 40 minutes. So they called it the horn because it resembled a bull's horn or a flame when you turned it upside down. And it was engraved at the top with gold lettering that said the number of games it was, for winter 1992 and has a small emblem of the rings. Philippe is unusual because for the first time in the history of the games, a designer was asked to create the torch. I'm not sure who created torches before, but this was an actual designer. So the idea was to make this a rare and valuable object. So he responded to this challenge with the design in stainless steel, noted for its purity of form and aerodynamic lines. He created a torch sculpture along lines familiar from his other work using his favorite material, steel. The other elements of the design were it had to be resistant to all weather conditions. It had to be carried by young people. It had to conform overall to the overall visual identity of the relay. So there's that youth dynamism, white and gray have to be predominant. The The torch had to be made in stainless steel because the company that manufactured them was Ugine or Ugain. I'm not quite sure how to say that, but they wanted to manufacture the torch. So the torch burner, as we noted in Tokyo, they wanted to, they made it very much more environmentally friendly 
Well, the burner in Albertville worked on gas for safety reasons. And I will quote this. This, I believe, is from the official report. Experience from the games had shown that liquid fuel for the flame was dangerous, as it meant holding the torch perfectly straight, or the liquid ran down the arms of the bearer, causing serious burns. Well, now I, I, I would go back and find out who got burned by a torch, right? Don't you want to know that? Who became the human torch. Right. So the backup flame was in a miner's lamp. And the lamp was in gilded brass and engraved with the logos of the Torch Relay and the Albertville Games. The lamp could remain alight for 14 hours, but needed careful treatment to keep it working. So for this reason, they had three torch technicians working in shifts to keep it going. The lamp was changed out at 7 a.m., 3 p.m., and three, at 11 p.m., and at night they were on hand simply for emergencies in case the local town hall staff, who had responsibilities for guarding the torch at every stop, if they called for help, the torch technicians were there for them. <laughs> this happened only once. <laughs> because during the day, the lamp was placed in a special vehicle. Each torch was lit from the flame in the lamp. And the miner's lamp was actually very popular with the public, but also with this town hall staff who had to watch it. The official report said they jealously guarded it on their night, most likely due to the fact that it contained the original flame. So the Albertville torch is special because we noticed this in the official film. Usually every torchbearer gets their own individual torch, but here they were passed the Torch. The whole torch. Yeah, they pass the whole torch from torchbearer to torchbearer. That means there's not that many of them. It is the rarest torch of the last 30 years. And one is currently on auction with our friends at RR Auction. So if you have a cool 20-something grand, which as of the other day, it was $22,000, it could be yours. Auction ends on July 21st. Welcome to Shuklastan. All right, it is time to check in with our team, Keep the Flame Alive. What is up this week? Sailors Stephanie Robel and Maggie Shea are competing at the 49 FXR European Championship in Aarhus, Denmark. Dawn Harper Nelson made her broadcasting debut, now it's two weeks ago, covering the USATF Championships. Very excited for her. I wonder if she is going to get the nod for, for Worlds, too. It would be great to hear her announce. She loved doing it. And congratulations to Phil Andrews, who has left USA Weightlifting and joined USA Fencing as its CEO. Paris 2024 news. I, I got to say, when I was doing research on La Flamme, uh, one thing I totally forgot about, and I don't know if this is happening because I, I, I don't necessarily believe the images yet, but do you remember when Paris bid for the games and they came up with that medal concept where it was one medal that split into four parts? Yes. Philippe Stark it, made that too. It was like stack. You got a metal stack and you could take off each layer like an onion. Right. And the idea was to give it to those who supported you so you could share the victory because you can't get there on your own. And... I saw that in conjunction with the old Paris 
logo that they used for the bid, but I have I've also seen it with pictures of Marianne. So I do not know if this is going to be the actual medal that they use. The first teams have qualified. Oh, yes. Tell me all about it. So USA and Dominican Republic have qualified in men's football. This is a big deal. This is going to be, and this surprised me, this is going to be the first trip for the DR to the Olympics in men's football. That is surprising to me as well. I would think that they would have done this before. Maybe it's too small of a country compared to other Latin American, South America powerhouses. Probably true. And the U.S., we talked about this before Tokyo, they will be back to the Olympics in men's football for the first time in 16 years. Also incredible. <sighs> well, this is this is a happy piece of news related to doping. Okay. Sort of. But we are going back to Beijing 2008. Men's 4x100 meter relay from Beijing 2008 was reallocated almost immediately. But lots of retesting and appeals. Jamaican runner Nesta Carter was found to have used the banned substance methyl hexanenamine. And so Jamaica was stripped of the gold medal, which means Usain Bolt was stripped of the gold medal. Wow. Taken all this time, but officially Trinidad and Tobago were awarded their gold medal in a ceremony at the IOC Museum in Lausanne, Switzerland by Tibok. Very nice. Japan moves up to silver and Brazil moves up to bronze. Imagine (laughs) having to wait 14 years because Nesta Carter tested positive for traces in 2008. This wasn't a long time, but because it was considered trace amounts and they had to do the retesting and the appeals... And then they were supposed to get their medals at Tokyo 2020, which was then postponed, and then they couldn't travel. So this medal ceremony was many, many years in coming. Oh, that's really rough. And we've talked before about the fact that what an opportunity lost for promotion or financial remuneration that you could have gotten and capitalized on because of winning the gold or even everybody moving up as well and Brazil hopping onto the podium, what an opportunity that they had to miss and and training and and did that mean people decided to retire before they really wanted to because they couldn't afford training or, or what? And it's just, it's really sad. Also sad that it takes so long. That they were fighting for so long about this, but Congratulations to Trinidad and Tobago. We don't get to see that too much. No. Trinidad and Tobago on the gold medal position. So that is is very nice and a nice way to end it. So we would like to give a big shout out to our Patreon patrons who keep our flame alive. You can find out more about patronage at patreon.com slash flamealivepod. If you would like to support the show on a one-time basis, please visit flamealivepod.com slash support. Also, don't forget it's summer, which means summer reading And if you need a book, check out our shop of curated, we have, we have several curated lists of Olympic and Paralympic titles to choose from at bookshop.org slash shop slash flame alive pod. We get a commission from all purchases made through that link. So you don't even have to choose something off of our list. If you just need a good beach read, go through our link and help us out. 
So that will do it for this week. Let us know your thoughts about the World Games. And if you're going, we want to hear from you. If you're watching, we want to hear from you. Where can we do that, Allison? You can get in touch with us by email at flamealivepod at gmail.com. Call or text us at 208-352-6348. That's 208-FLAME-IT. Our social handle is at flamealivepod. And be sure to join the Keep the Flame Alive podcast group on Facebook, where I expect to see some photos from people at World Games. Yes, and I know that some people who are going are trying to do a meetup. If you're going to the World Games, you're not in the Facebook group, please pop on there and get in touch. We would love to see listeners listening together. That would be awesome. So join us next week for more stories of the Olympics and Paralympics. Thank you so much for listening. And until next time, keep the flame alive.